Hey everyone, happy Easter. I never thought that we'd be doing Easter this way, but I'm just glad that we get to do it at all at this point. Um, if you could just take a moment, if you could think of anybody who could use a little bit of hope, who could use a little bit of pointing in the direction of life that is really life, go ahead and copy and paste this link of this video right now, send it to them, invite them to watch alongside with you, whether it's a neighbor or a family member or a friend. Um, I just am really thinking there's gonna be some things in here that could bring a lot of hope to people who are probably uh, at the very least have a little bit of anxiety and maybe have uh, a deep sense of panic right now. Um, so go ahead and do that. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to Acts. Uh, chapter eight is where we're going to be this evening. Acts chapter eight, we're back in our series um, on the book of Acts. And uh, we're, we're in this series going through the book of Acts. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at what made the early church the early church. What did they believe? What did they do because of those beliefs? And uh, we're just beginning to ask ourselves this question. How do we as a church, Saints Hill Church, become a house of Acts? Um, so Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And uh, we have a bit of a story to read this evening that was just perfect for Easter. Couldn't pass it up. So uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where we're going to start. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. If you remember, Philip is a disciple of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. He's seen Jesus, his resurrected body, and so notice what his life is now shaped around. His entire life is shaped around this pursuit, following what he hears from God, no matter where it leads him. So he obeys, verse 27. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Um, many times, I just think of this passage, and I think, you know, many times ministry happens this way. It's, it's on the way to doing something else. Philip is just told to go to a place. He's not told exactly what to do when he gets there or who he's going to meet when he gets there. But I think that this is often how ministry happens. You're doing errands, you're talking with a coworker, you're making a phone call, and next thing you know, there's an opportunity for ministry. Our obedience is the greatest evangelism tool that we we carry. Our obedience to what we're told is the greatest evangelism tool that we have at our disposal. And this is so cool. This is the gospel beginning to reach into Northern Africa. Really what we're seeing right here is we see this Ethiopian man um, who apparently has this high position within the Ethiopian government. And he happens to be in a location far from Ethiopia where he interacts with this person who actually has seen the resurrected Jesus. And I think of just the command of Jesus to go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, and then eventually to the ends of the earth with this good news of the resurrected Christ. And uh, this is really, we're seeing the gospel, how it's reached Jerusalem, it's reached Judea, Samaria, and now it's beginning to spread into the ends of the earth. And the beauty of this story is that we're seeing the gospel spread into Africa. What, a, what an incredible moment. This is the first time that anybody from Africa hears about Jesus. Look down at your Bibles, verse 28. Here's what happens. And on his way home, this eunuch, on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, chariot 
reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading, and it's a quote right out of Isaiah 53, actually. It says this, He was led like sheep, like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is, shy, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He uses that passage about in the scripture that this prophet has prophesied thousands of years ago. And he says, this is actually about the person Jesus, who I knew. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? He wants all in. And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, I read that passage, and I, and I can't help think of what the angels said would be the nature of the good news when they spoke to the shepherds about Jesus' birth. They said that this is going to be good news of great joy for all the people, even for this African man who had been in Jerusalem, clearly seeking God, trying to understand what to him was probably a strange northern religion called Judaism. And instead of getting caught up in the law, instead of getting caught up in all of the to-dos, he reads the prophet Isaiah with someone who's filled with the Spirit, able to show him who Isaiah was pointing towards, and he gets born again. He gets completely new life. Now, as I mentioned before, this passage that they were reading in Isaiah is Isaiah 53. And it's probably one of the most potent examples of a prophet in the Old Covenant uh, speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ. The prophet says that this coming man will primarily take care of two issues through his body. Um, sin was the first issue that he was going to take care of, the transgressions of people. Uh, and secondly, physical pain brokenness of people. Now, the way that he was going to do this was through his body. Uh, I, the prophet Isaiah prophesies of a Messiah or of a Savior who will bear pain, who will bear suffering, so that humans can be healed internally and healed externally. And this is the good news that causes this Ethiopian man great joy. It says that he went away. He's like, I don't know where Philip went. <laughs> who knows? But he went away with great joy. Now, let me ask you this. As you're sitting there this evening, has the message of Jesus of his resurrection produced great joy in you? Do you today, even in the midst of our cultural circumstances, have great joy? Can you, maybe you can remember a time when you first started following Jesus, when you first came to know God, and it produced a complete life change, completely great joy within you. 
I, I just think that Easter is a great time for us to ask ourselves this question. If you follow Jesus, ask yourself this question. Do I know this gospel personally, this good news personally, and can I share it like Philip shared it? Can, could I explain it like Philip did? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you don't follow Jesus. I want you to ask yourself this question. Would I want this to be true about my life? Would I want what's on offer, this good news? Do I just simply would I want it to be true of my life? So, so here's what I want to do. I want to look at the good news again. This good news that produced great joy in this Ethiopian man. Um, I want to look at it again. And, and here is really my best attempt at looking into possibly some of what Philip would have said to this Ethiopian man. What was that conversation like? Here's what I think it was sort of like. Because of the of Isaiah 53, the Messiah coming, dying, and resurrecting in order to make us whole physically, spiritually, emotionally. Here's the first thing that I think he would have shared with the eunuch. Sin's power has been broken. Sin's power has been broken because of the resurrection. Um, Jesus said this in John's account of his life. He said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He also said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, those, are, those two dynamics are really important for us to understand. We don't really use this term sin in our culture today. It seems old-fashioned. It seems kind of like 1980s. Um, but whether the word is used or not, every single person experiences the effects of sin daily. Uh, it's the spouse who lies to his wife and the relationship begins to fracture. It's the bickering and backbiting within a, a sales office. It, it, it's the anger and the language used about people on Twitter. It's the impulse to live for oneself in every way. We, we seem to be far more comfortable when we think of sin um, being something that's outside of us, something that's a systematic problem culturally today. There's systematic oppression, systematic racism, systematic economic injustice. And we, we seem to be comfortable with the systems having a problem, but not with us personally having a problem. The, the, the only issue that I can see with that is this. Jesus didn't die to save systems. He died for the redemption of people, individuals who needed a way out of sin's lifestyle, out of slavery to sin, and into the life that is really life. The point is this, Jesus told us why he came. He said in John 10.10, I've come to bring life and life to the full. If you want to know why Jesus came, if you want to know why Christianity exists at all, it's for the purpose of life. It's for the purpose of freedom, who the Son sets free. You might have been a slave to sin, but if I've set you free, you're free indeed. The power of sin has been broken in your life. See, the problem with sin is that it's constantly getting in the way of life. It's constantly wedging itself in between you and the life that God actually has for you. So, so what is Jesus' solution to this? What is his solution to sin? Well, notice that what happens in this passage is the Ethiopian, he hears the good news and instantly wants to be baptized. Why? What is baptism? Well, baptism is simply, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of the believer. 
In the same way that, that Jesus died, he went into the ground in death, and then he came up out of the ground in life. The believer goes into the water, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to the old way of life, only to come up out of the water in resurrected, born-again, new life, walking hand-in-hand hand with the Father. The, 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 sim, the symbolism of baptism is this. It's death to all that keeps us from the life that Jesus has for us. That's why baptism is so important. And if you haven't been baptized, we want to see you baptized. Um, it's a choice for us to be crucified with, with Christ so that when you see what his death affords you, you actually want to die to everything that would keep you from taking hold of all that is on offer. That, that's why the Ethiopian says, here's water. What could keep me from dying so that I can really live? Colossians 2, uh, 13 through 15 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You were dead in sin. Maybe you still are dead in sin if you're not in Christ. Here's what's on offer to you. God can make you alive with Christ. He can forgive all of your sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. When Christ died, sin died. When Christ died, sin died. What does that mean? I mean, how could that be? Don't, don't we still see sin around us? Here's what it means for the life of a believer. Sin primarily has two powers. The first power that sin has is it can cause us to question the goodness of God and then to act on that doubt or act on that questioning. And the second power that sin has is that it's addictive. It causes us to keep it up, to want to keep on going back to the same things that we once did. But with Christ's death, this force has been stripped of power. And now we, as followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, are actually able, should we choose, and we have a choice every day, should we choose to live free of sin? <clears throat> You're free from sin. The debt and power of it is gone so long as you are in Christ. So that you actually now have the ability every day, no matter how tempting the thing is in front of you, you have an ability to choose a new king and a new master. That's the first piece of good news I think he would have shared with this Ethiopian. Because of the body of Jesus broken for us, him becoming sin, nailed to the cross, we have now the ability to choose life rather than to be, continue to be slaves to sin. The second piece of good news I could imagine Philip sharing is this, that we get what he gets. The good news is this, we get what Jesus gets. Here's what I mean. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 23, maybe jot that down, says this, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Here's the deal. Belong to God and get what Jesus gets. 
belong to God and get resurrected like he got resurrected. So now the question is, well, how do we belong to God? I want to belong to him to get what he gets. How do we belong to him? Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, this word redemption is really important. We have redemption through his blood. In other words, his blood actually did something to us spiritually. It, it, it transferred ownership in a sense. This word redemption can also mean deliverance. So I, I like to think of like a, an old Western shootout. Maybe close your eyes and just imagine this in your head with me. Imagine this. Um, imagine that you're trapped Uh, in some old stone ruins of some broken down farming structure in the southwestern United States. Kind of an old-timey western scene. I'm just just setting the scene here. And and there's an enemy who's shooting at you. Um, He's somewhere beyond the ridge. You can kind of see where he is, but you just can't quite get a shot at him. Bullets are whizzing by, knocking concrete off the wall that you're hiding behind, and you realize you're helpless. You no longer have any bullets. It's just a matter of time until the enemy closes in on you and takes you out. But then, all of a sudden, there's someone else. And he's an absolute sharpshooter. He shoots at the enemy, he takes him out, and the enemy hobbles away as this deliverer, this rescuer, comes to rescue you. But there is a question. Are you going to trust him? Who is this man? Will you go with him? The option is yours. You can belong with him or you don't have to. But if he's won your allegiance, then you stay with him. You not only stay with him for safety, but you also stay with him for training so that he can train you on how to get others free from that same enemy. Open your eyes. That is what the gospel does. It's redemption. It's the rescue and deliverance of your entire life from the enemy's power and pressure. And when that happens, when you decide to go with him, when you decide to say, protect me, train me, you get what he gets. You belong to him. So think about this reality again. 1 Corinthians 15, one more time. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And that is why the Ethiopian says this, what is standing in my way of getting baptized? I want to belong to him. I see the Redeemer. I know that I need his help in my life. The last piece of good news that I could imagine Philip sharing is this, Christus Victor. Maybe some of you have heard that phrase before, Christus Victor. It's an ancient theology. And and essentially the theology says this, Christ's death was actually his coronation. Christ's death, See, it it looked like the bad guys won. It looked like the hero was killed. But because of the resurrection, death has been defeated and the demonic has lost its power. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. A couple of things to note in this passage. For the Christian... Death must be seen as sleeping rather than ending. If you're a Christian, you cannot view death the way that the world views death. It's sleeping rather than ending. 
Do you see how Paul in the Bible minimizes the sting of death? If they're sleeping, then there's waking, right? If they're sleeping, then there's waking. Secondly, this passage says that Jesus is the first fruit. His resurrection was a first fruit of those who will follow after him, those who belong to him. He's a sign of what's to come. It's probably one of my, honestly, one of my favorite images within the New Testament. Um, Right now we're uh, in the middle of spring. I'm starting to look out at my trees and I'm starting to see the buds begin to break. Um, our, our industry and where we live in the valley, uh, the wine industry has a complete celebration for bud break. When they look out and they see the buds begin to break and new life, the winter is over, the spring has come. And whenever you see that first bud break, whenever you see that first leaf show up, you know that there's always more to come. That's the first fruit. So this common enemy that we all share as humans called death, well, that power of death has been destroyed by Jesus' resurrection. And just like Adam was the first to die and all followed after him, Jesus is the first to rise and many will follow after him who wanted. Christus Victor. Colossians 2 verse 14 through 15 says this, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, the demonic, and he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them on the cross. I love that language, a public spectacle. My, I, my wife and I were talking about this the other night and I said, what is a public spectacle? Like what, what exactly does that mean? And she, she said, well, imagine, you know, think of a team who wins like the World Series and they're just totally celebrating in their locker room, popping champagne. They have triumphed over their enemy. They've defeated their enemy, right? The last thing that that other team wants to do is spend time around the partying team. So could it be that the way in which we push back the enemy in our lives, the way in which we remind the enemy of Jesus' defeat, is we actually throw a party. We celebrate. It's why we come to church every Sunday. We gather together and we worship together and we exalt the name of Jesus. We're celebrating the same defeat, the same championship over and over and over again. And where the people of God celebrate, the enemy doesn't want to be around at all. Christus Victor makes us think this. Could it be possible that I was intended to live in victory for my whole life because I belong to him? Could it be possible that my outlook on the world, my, my vision of eternity, my vision of my present, is actually intended to be shaped by victory because I belong to him? There was a group of Christians who believed that during the Reformation. They're called the Moravians. And they had this saying, this this trademark, this, this slogan that kind of followed them wherever they went, and it was this, The lamb has conquered, let us follow him. The lamb has conquered, let us follow him. That sacrificial lamb didn't stay on the altar. It got up off of the altar and now he's leading us in a triumphal procession. And here's what I wanna say to us as a church, as Saints Hill Church. The power of the resurrection practically means hope. Jesus' resurrection means hope. The power of Jesus means hope. We're living in a time where really for the first time ever, and at least my lifetime and probably in yours, um, people can't even medicate with the distractions of life. 
to ignore the pain that they're going through. And they're really, every single person is faced with this mortal question um, as they have more than enough time to think about it. And here's the question, what is your hope? What do you hope in? What is your hope in the midst of all of this chaos? Do you have a hope that lasts beyond this life? If not, you're not safe. And I think that you can actually feel that. See, the only thing that can trump the insecurity of being out of control is having a hope that comes from outside of this world. The only thing that can trump that insecurity of being out of control is having a hope that comes from outside of this world. I recently heard um, this writing professor uh, say this. He said, life is like living on the back of a sleeping tiger. And every now and then, the tiger wakes up. The tiger wakes up in our lives when a death happens and you just realize how violent life actually is. It wakes up when there's a massive loss in your life, a breakup, a heartbreak, some kind of loss of income for as many of you are probably experiencing right now. The, the tiger wakes up when a pandemic comes. See, when the tiger is asleep, you can begin to believe that you're the one who's in control. And so we're actually living in a moment of cultural grief because we are all realizing that we're not the ones who are in control. We are not the owners of our destinies. And so I actually think that as followers of Jesus, that we do need to grieve this. There is a moment for us culturally to grieve. Um, there's a loss of innocence for those of you who are young, and this is the first cultural tragedy that you've ever lived through. Um, th there's, there's a time for us to grieve the loss of safety. Uh, for many of you, there's probably a, a, a loss of a sense of hope. Um, and I think it's right for us to mourn this. I think it's right for us to grieve this. I even had a moment the other day of just mourning the loss of what I had imagined bringing a child into this world would look like. I just keep on looking at my wife and going, we're bringing a child into this? My <laughs> um, week is a, my, my wife is a week out um, from her due date. And uh, this is just not what we had pictured uh, this season of our lives looking like. Some of you I'm sure are mourning the loss of a job. Um, maybe you're mourning the loss of an experience you had expected to graduate with your friends, uh, maybe expected to take a trip to some country around the world, and uh, that's not possible right now. Um, maybe some of us are even mourning the loss of a person who we love, somebody who has actually fallen sick and passed away. Um, some of you are probably mourning the loss of a good economy and what that means for your family and how you're able to provide for them or live the lifestyle that um, you've been so blessed to live up to this point. Um, but I want you to see this. Mourning doesn't mean that you don't have hope. See, there are really two kinds of mourning. The first kind of mourning is the mourning that leads to faith. There is a mourning that actually leads us to trust. But there's another kind of mourning that leads to unbelief. The mourning that leads to unbelief is the mourning of the disciples after Jesus uh, had been crucified. 
Um, they kind of hold up. Some of them hold up. Some of them return to their old jobs as if the previous three years just never happened. And I really see that this is a dichotomy for many between mourning and faith. This is so rampant in certainly my generation and in our culture today. And so many, finally, in order to just kind of get real with life's experience, they allowed their experience and the mourning to replace their faith and then to eventually remove relationships. And so there's a lot of Christians that think that there's just this dichotomy between there's some people who mourn and there's some people who have faith. I actually think there is a mourning that leads to faith. It's the mourning that Jesus spoke about when he said this in Matthew 5 verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's the mourning that says, I'm still looking to be comforted. I'm st I still want your comfort, God, in the midst of all this. I know I'm mourning. I'm mourning the loss of all of these things around me, but I still am looking to you. It it it's the mourning of Jesus right before raising Lazarus from the dead. He wept right before he essentially solved the, the issue that was at hand. There is a mourning that because of relationship with Jesus, longs for him to remake the world like he promised, rather than lose faith in him and just let go of him altogether. We must mourn as followers of Jesus, knowing that one day Jesus will show up at the tomb of our dreams, the tomb of this universe, and dare I say, the tombs of our bodies, and after he mourns the destruction of his good intentions for his creation, he will call our name like he called Lazarus. He will call like the author of life that he is, and he will say, wake up, I'm making all things new. See, because of the resurrection, we are the people with a present hope. Our present hope is that the power of sin has been defeated. The ability of Jesus has been given to us by his spirit. The presence of God is tangible. In the language of Jesus, it's at hand. It's within our reach, and we can actually commune with him. It's how I have peace in the midst of all that's going on around me right now. But it also means that we have a present hope and we have a future hope. Here's what the prophet John wrote in the book of Revelation about that future that is waiting for all who follow Jesus. This is what he says about those who are gonna be resurrected and what it actually our future looks like. This is in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is so good. Verse four says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So here's my message to us as a church. Come to him. Come to him. Give yourself to him.
You could be watching any other video right now. You could be doing anything else, but you're watching this right now. And I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's random. I believe that God wants to put his future into yours, fill you with hope, and cause joy and peace to flow out of you for all of your life here on this earth. And that, that all of that comes from giving him your yes and knowing that your future is secure. Here's what's on offer. Maybe you don't follow Jesus and you're watching this and maybe God is actually moving. Maybe he's even speaking to you right now. Here's what's on offer to you in this present life. This is Psalm 23 and it just describes a beautiful image of what a life of a believer actually looks like when you have a shepherd, when you have God in your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you want that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. I, I, I love this. He's the one who has blessing, surplus, uh, abundance in mind. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Could you use that right now? He guides me along the right paths for his namesake, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Even though you're walking through this right now, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Do you want him with you? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you need that, if you want that, then you need him. If you don't follow Jesus right now and you're watching this, I wanna invite you to give your life to him, that your future would be secure and your present would be full of heaven now, even on this side of resurrection. If you want to make that decision, if you want to just see what if God is real and if he would reach out to you right now in your bedroom, in your car, on a walk, in your living room, wherever you are, then pray this prayer with me. You can just repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you. Forgive me for my sin. I believe what you said. I believe what you did. I want a father like you had. So connect me to him. Holy Spirit, come fill me up with all of your fruit and cause me to think and to do the impossible. I now know that I'm completely forgiven, that I'm full of your spirit, and that my future is secure. Amen. If you prayed that, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you over a phone call or maybe over FaceTime and to just begin to explain to you what it looks like to now follow that redeemer, follow that rescuer, and learn how to get other people free like God is getting you free right now. If that's you, would you go ahead and email us at hello at saintshill.church. Send us an email and we will reach out and we'll, we would love to connect with you. To everybody else, we so miss you, we love you. Be filled with hope and happy Easter.